are the ad watchers? We are attorneys at the National Advertising Division of BBB National Programs, a team with 50 years of experience investigating and resolving disputes over the truthfulness and accuracy of national advertising campaigns. To make sure advertisers can back up what they are telling consumers, we don't just take ads at face value, we put them to the test. Why? Because advertising law is simple. It's the execution that's hard. Welcome to our last episode of Season 2 of The Ad Watchers, NAD's podcast that gives a view into how our organization reviews, claims, and applies advertising law. If you missed any of our previous episodes, don't forget to check them out later. They're available wherever you are listening to this. I'm Eric Yunus, and my co-host today is NAD Assistant Director Annie Ugerlion. Today we're doing something a little bit different. Uh, what are we talking about today, Annie? Today's podcast is going to focus on diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, or DEIB, in advertising. Specifically how NED and advertising self-regulation are looking at this uh, generally. And then on a more granular level with advertising agency uh, perspective with our guest speaker. Eric, can you talk about what's happening on the BBB National Program side? Sure. BBB National Program's uh, Children's Advertising Review Unit, KRU, has revised its guidelines to include diversity and inclusion language into its list of inappropriate advertising, holding advertisers accountable for negative social stereotyping, prejudice, or discrimination. At its annual conference this year, BBB National Program's National Advertising Division, that's us, announced a change to its procedures taking bit of a different approach by including misleading and harmful stereotypes as part of its responsibility to address advertising that is misleading or accurate due to the portrayal or encouragement of negative, harmful social stereotyping, prejudice, or discrimination. Now, there are no cases yet, but it's important to keep in mind that this review will focus on clear-cut examples of misleading and harmful stereotyping. These changes at BBB national programs didn't come out of the blue. Uh, Advertising trade associations, such as the Association of National Advertisers, the ANA, have focused on the importance of DEIB, with the ANA specifically addressing this issue through its Alliance for Inclusive and Multicultural Marketing and the Gender Equality Practice, CHERP. On an international level, self-regulatory organizations such as the UK's Advertising Standards Authority, the ASA, has been leading the way with a 2021 ad review and study designed to identify prevalent stereotypes and study areas for the ASA to provide guidance to the industry. In 2021, the World Federation of Advertisers conducted a global DEI census, a report based on insights about DEI from experiences about fairness and sense of belonging of over 10,000 advertising industry professionals in 27 countries. This report stressed the importance of diversity and inclusion in all areas of the marketing industry. Diverse teams ensure authentic communications to a diverse consumer base. Annie, can you go over some of the cases that raise DEI issues as they relate to claim substantiation? Sure. 
A cornerstone of a reliable study is testing the right population, especially if that's what you're showing in your ad. In a challenge that was brought by Unilever against P&G for its Olay body wash, we took issue with some aspects of an otherwise appropriate industry standard test to assess the improved skin three times better than the leading body wash claim. The problem here was that they didn't test a population that included individuals with dark skin when the commercials actually showed African-American women. The testing has to match the demographic test population, especially when that's what you're showing in your ad. We've also looked at social justice pledges in the aftermath of the murder of George Floyd. Uh, We found that social justice pledges made by DoorDash and Niantic uh, were supported. Consumers are basing their purchasing decisions based on a company's commitment to social justice and gender equality. So it's very important for companies to make sure that they follow through on their, their advertised commitments. So just a few more things before we bring on our guest. You mentioned the need to study an inclusive population. Uh, That's particularly important. I can think of one example where a men's shaving product was intended to uh, address or or help alleviate razor bumps. Uh, And that condition affects certain populations more than others, certain skin types. So in that instance, NAD recognized that a proper study would include that population that experiences the condition more often. Uh, That was a necessary part of any study. One other thing I wanted to mention was Spanish language advertising. Not to forget that that is within the purview of NAD's jurisdiction. NAD has addressed Spanish language advertising before. And that also includes advertising that is broadcast or directed towards Puerto Rico. Uh, In certain cases, NAD has recognized that for purposes of its jurisdiction, Puerto Rico may constitute a significant portion or substantial portion of the United States so that it meets the definition of national advertising for that purpose. So, Eric, you mentioned the importance of diverse teams in creating ads to ensure authentic communications with consumers. And that is exactly the topic that we're going to discuss with our guest speaker. We are honored and delighted to have Ingrid Otero Smart, president and CEO of Casanova McCann, join us today. Born and raised in Puerto Rico, Ingrid Otero Smart has over 30 years of advertising experience in the U.S. Hispanic market in Puerto Rico. At Casanova, she leads the agency operations, managing offices in Costa Mesa, New York, Detroit, and field teams in Dallas, South Florida, and Chicago. Casanova McCann is certified as a female and minority-owned business. Her account experience also includes Nestle USA, the U.S. Army, U.S. Postal Service, Diageo, Cigna, Coca-Cola, Chevrolet, U.S. Bank, and Ford Division, among others. She's a founding member and past president of the Association of Hispanic Advertising Agencies, currently known as CMC. She is also a founding member of the Latino Communications Institute and currently serves as its chair and has received numerous awards. Welcome, Ingrid. Thank you for inviting me. 
So Ingrid, can you tell us a bit about your background and how you got into advertising and specifically the agency side? How much time do we have? Danny <laughs> said I started a long time ago in my native Puerto Rico. I studied communications, but it was kind of a detour because I didn't know anyone in advertising. I didn't even know how to start that in that career. And my path was, was going to be different. I, want, I thought I was going to study medicine. And then as soon as I started, I realized this is not what I want to do. And somehow one day talking to someone, they mentioned the School of Communications. And I thought, well, that sounds good. Let me go park there until I decide what I want to do. And here we are almost 40 years later. I studied communications thinking I was going to be a journalist. I finished my college career and decided to take a little break because I had been working since I was 15. Got bored really quickly and went for an interview for a part-time job at McCann Erickson in Puerto Rico and never left. I was there for seven years. I grew through, um, I started in the traffic department, worked in media, worked in traffic production, and then ultimately in account services, which is what I wanted to do. Eventually, I moved to the States. Having worked in Puerto Rico, so many of our clients worked from here, from the mainland, and I wanted to know how it was to work here. I thought I would be a better account person if I worked here and then went back home. An independent Hispanic agency came calling. Hispanic wasn't a thing that we had ever heard of. This Again, this is late 80s. And I, I like to joke that I didn't know I was Hispanic or Latina until I moved to California. I was Puerto Rican and that's that was all I knew. So I moved to that independent shop. Six months later, it was bought by Martin Sorrell when he was starting his WPP network. And, uh, and I stayed there for 18 years. And now I've been here at Casanova for 14. That's incredible. You know, your story is very much you know, highlights the importance of DEIB. And I'm wondering if you can sort of talk about what it means to you and, and what are the criteria you look for when you're working for a company? And for example, like if you decide not to work with a company, what are the red flags that would come into play? I mean, as, as a minority-focused company and now minority-owned, uh, DEI is, is vital to us, right? It's, it's part of our DNA, but we also can't take it for granted. We need to make sure that we are very focused and making sure that we are not making any any mistakes or that we are overlooking things just because we think, well, we are already multicultural. We don't need to do much more work. I've been lucky that I have my entire career really has been on this side of the of the coin, if you may. So I haven't had as much issue with that uh, with lack of of diversity because I've always been on this side. But I have seen a lot of it, having worked with a couple different networks, having worked with dozens of different non-Hispanic agencies, I've seen the lack of, of diversity. In many cases, not intentional. I think it was just not top of mind. And uh, and that's been one of the silver linings of the of very sad things in culture, right? But at least now... People cannot use uh, ignorance as an excuse for not not being diverse. And 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 to me, even more than than diversity, more important is the inclusivity part. It's one thing and a, and a very easy thing to go in and say, oh yes, ten percent of our new hires are all like diverse, but that doesn't really 
make a dent on, on, on the problem. We need to make sure that those people that are being hired are included, are respected, are listened to, and that also they start seeing people like them in senior roles. Not just, it's very easy to get to fill the, the entry level positions with those diverse numbers, make the numbers and publish reports that say, oh yeah, we've made our goals. We need to look deeper than that. So let's talk a little bit about the creative process. You work with the Hispanic market. How do you, when in doing that, how do you create authentic communications, understanding the nuances of, of this demographic? And Speaking of, of demographics, is, is there data that you use? Yes, to all of that. It's really about, about identifying insights, the right insights to develop the communications. You know, when I came to the Hispanic market 30 years ago, it was all about language, right? We needed to reach the Latino population in Spanish language because the majority of the population was foreign-born, where growth of the market was coming from immigration. The last two censuses have clearly shown that even though immigration will continue to be, and, and obviously language is still very important, we needed to focus on a different segment because the majority of the growth of the, of the segment is coming from U.S.-born Latinos, which don't speak Spanish or speak very little Spanish. They may understand it, but they might, they might prefer to be spoken to in English. However, they are clearly deeply and very proudly Latino, and they want to be communicated with culturally relevant messaging. So from our standpoint as, an, as a multicultural agency, our focus is first on insights and second on the language. We invest a lot of, of uh, resources on getting the right tools. There's, again, years ago, they, there was not much research that we could purchase or that we could really look at when developing communications. Today, we have a plethora of, of, of resources. We ourselves, as an agency at Casanova, we invest money on doing our own custom research to make sure that we are ahead of the trends and that we can develop the best culturally relevant messaging for our clients. So is there a, a specific campaign you can discuss? And obviously, understanding the limitations of not seeing the actual ad, but uh, something that brings to light how a company has better tailor their ads to the expectation of the target audience? Sure, Annie. I think the first one that comes to mind is one we did about a, a little bit over a year ago for Mucinex. And Mucinex had never advertised to the Hispanic market. It was the first time they were going to address this segment. They came to us late in 2019 and said, we want to, we want to start addressing the Hispanic market. We have a very successful total campaign. You probably all have seen it. It's the one with Mr. Mucus, the little green blob that follows people around. And uh, it's very successful. Everyone remembers it when, as, as soon as you mention Mr. Mucus. So it was hard for us to fight against success, right? And also, it is very important we, to us as an organization, we always make that clear to the, to the clients. Our job is not to reinvent your brand. Our job is to make your brand relevant to our Latino market. So we always start from the overarching strategic platform, from the overarching creative campaign. And then we look at that and say, here's how we need to tweak it to make it relevant to our target. In that case, that's what we're working with. Let's figure out how we made Mr. Mucus relevant to our target. And then March 2020 happened. We were in the middle of, of 
creative development. And we, we all said, we need to take a pause because this is not going to be the right communication. Once we were ready to, to launch again, we said we can't be coming in our very first time to the segment with a funny or at least fun tone campaign, right? In a time where the uh, health disparities were coming right to the surface, where people were on, finally understanding that Latinos were in the front lines and we were affected more than, than other segments because most of our people did not have jobs where they could be working from home. They had to be out there doing an everyday job for their families and they couldn't just take time off. Right? So at that point, we said, we first, let's make sure that we earn the right to market to the segment as a brand, right? That we don't just come in and say, here's Mucinex BIOS because we're the number one prescribed medication for, for cold and flu. Let's really earn the right to talk to the segment. And what we did was we developed a campaign called Your Community Needs Your Will. And what we did was say, basically, you as a person need to be healthy because you're going out in the community and you're helping others. If you're not healthy, you cannot do your job. We identified three everyday Latino heroes. No, no celebrities, no one well-known. Three people that were doing outstanding things for the community. One was a nurse that when she was trying to be a nurse, it was very hard for her to get through the process. She did, she would not see many people that looked like and sounded like her. So she founded a Latina organization, an organization to help other Latinas become nurses. We also found a bicultural, a half Latina, half Persian uh, esthetician that goes every Wednesday to Skid Row here in Los Angeles to give facials to the homeless, to help them feel better about themselves. And we found a uh, full-time construction worker that after a 12-hour shift every single day, he goes to the gym to help at-risk Latino youth learn boxing to keep them off the streets. So we developed a campaign highlighting the three of them. Very little branding in the beginning. It was all about celebrating what these people do, showing how they help their community and why they needed to be healthy. And then we wrapped it up with the brand messaging. It was extremely successful once we launched it. It was fully digital, had both an advertising and a public relations component. We gave back to them, to each of them, a donation and, and developed a, a website where people could donate to them. And, and the campaign increased the branding, the brand awareness among Latinos significantly. And it was one of the highest, if not the highest performing campaign for the brand that year. So among all the changes we've seen in society have been technological changes. It's, it's changed so much over the years. Can you talk a little bit more about how new media has changed your work? I think new media has made our work more challenging and so much more fun too. And, and easier in ways as well. When I came to California to work in the Hispanic market, basically we had television, radio, and some print. And that's how we reached the Latino market. Now we have a plethora of, of medium that we can reach. It allows us to go deep, deeper into the demographics and the psychographics of, of the segment. It allows us to target to target deeper than, than we could before and to custom messaging as well, right? It's from a, from a cost efficiency, we can do more versions of ads than we could before when we basically were using broadcast to, to reach a segment. It allows us to power messaging 
incredibly. It's things like the Musinex campaign, right? It was 100% digital. We did a campaign for Donate Life California to get people to register for organ donation a couple of years ago. It was 100% social media. We didn't have a budget because it was a nonprofit organization. And with 100% social media, 100% basically, it going viral, we increased organ donations by 30%, organ registrations by 30% in one month. So I'd say that that the that new media really has made our, our jobs so much easier, even if even if it's more challenging and harder to, to develop one, it's we can truly make an impact in, in today's media environment. So one last question, speaking of changes, what trends are you seeing in the industry to address DEIB? I mean, there's obviously a lot, a lot happening. Some, I think a lot of it is, is well-meaning. I think there's still a lot of just words and not enough actions. We're starting hearing a lot about, well, advertising needs to be more inclusive. The problem is what some people are hearing is, well, we just need to do the ad and put a couple of brown faces in there and we have an inclusive ad. And that's not what that means, right? It, we're seeing a lot of, well, yes, the general agency will do this with some consulting from the multicultural agency, when in so many cases, multicultural should be leading the discussion. There's been a lot of changes. I think there's still a lot of changes needed. But at least, you know, we've seen... And I think I've seen it all in this all these years. At least I'm more positive that we are going to get to a better place, that we are as an industry getting more diverse. I would like, personally, I would like to see more opportunities given to entry-level candidates in those non-multicultural agencies. Maybe they need to stop looking at Ivy League colleges and go look where we are Hispanic serving institutions, the historically black colleges and universities. That's where they need to be hiring if they truly want a diverse and inclusive environment. Well, Ingrid, thank you so much for joining us today. We greatly appreciated hearing your stories and sharing your insights with us today. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. So, Annie, what did we learn today? Well, we learned that diverse teams make diverse communications. But as Ingrid noted, and as is been clear by the research that you mentioned done by the ASA and others, it's really important to keep in mind inclusivity. You have to have a real connection with the audience. And it's not enough to just have a couple of diverse people in the ad. It has to be done in a thoughtful way. And as Ingrid mentioned with the Mucinex ad, it really showed how folks were on the front lines and and trying to make a difference. And I think it's important for brands and agencies to dig deep and make sure that what they're presenting to consumers takes that into account so that there isn't this sense of tokenism, if you will. I think we also learned, importantly, that DEIB is here to stay and that brands should make sure their commitments are sustaining and not just in response to current events because it's here to stay. Thank you again for tuning into this episode of The Ad Watchers. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. Join us next season for more episodes of The Ad Watchers. As always, you can head over to our website, bbbprograms.org, to learn about more about what we do at the National Advertising Division 
or any of our other self-regulatory programs. That's all for this episode. See you next time.